What's up, y'all? It's uh, the Bank Trapper here, and I'm with my lovely wife. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Fatima. And she's also known as Fatima the Banker. And so this is our first episode of our podcast together. It's uh, Married Life and Bank Trapping. And what we'll be going through for this podcast is how Black married couples can do business together and have the opportunity to uh, learn from us, grow with us, and get ideas on how they can uh, create a home economy because economics start in the home. And so it's important to understand how to make that work with you and your spouse. And how we have done this is that uh, we created a family corporation. Um, our first LLC that we created was Yeti Sentinel LLC, which originally was a kennel. And then as we grew and learned, um, we are now forming our second LLC um, as ABS advisors. And my wife is an ABS uh, advisor, supervisor, along with my sister. Uh, she's on here as well, uh, Big Bang Micah. And uh, I am the CEO. My wife is the uh, COO. And my sister is the CFO. And so uh, I'll go ahead and let you um, add anything if you have anything to add, babe. Um, well, I mean, I, I'm just really excited to be able to... Um give other married couples that are on the journey of building a family business and trying to have, you know, see some structure, see um, the downs and the ups of, you know, running a business as a married couple, actually as a family, because like you said, that it starts in the home and being able to have uh, a sister-in-law and while raising kids, just how all of that looks. Um, very excited to get every, you know, have everybody look and see the insides of what it actually looks like and um, give our experiences and how to work out of situations mm -hmm. that we've gone through. And so um, how about you uh, let everybody know, um, I guess, starting off with, um, how is it that we and you got introduced and uh, now we're at the role that you're in now as um, an ABS um, advisor, supervisor, and what were some of your interests that led you to this point? Um, so pretty much prior to being introduced to ABS in general, um, we were on the road of becoming entrepreneurs and that's when we started our LLC um, we bred our first litter of dogs and then I had started working right after we had, um, had our first litter, I had started working at the post office and going to work every day. And my husband, he actually came into contact with ABS, um, through the wealth standard. And so once he explained to me what ABS does, like with the life, the life insurance, because Prior to that, we had also a few months before we had uh, started a, a whole life insurance policy. But then mm -hmm. once he explained to me what, you know, that we didn't 
um, set up our policy the right way and the agent that we had, you know, didn't inform us of what we, you know, what was what he pretty much, pretty much lied to us. Mm-hmm. Um, just put it that way. Um, She's saying it nicer but, than I would. Basically, we got fucked for real. <laughs> we we but, pay an outrage. We we were paying an outrageous amount of money um, for whole life insurance um, to create a legacy, and then we came across um, our current mentors, um, Adelijah, Shan, and uh, Jake, and that really made a huge, huge difference. But I'll uh, shut up and let you keep going. But um, so once, you know, once he explained to me uh, his run-in with ABS through the Wealth Standard and um, about the life insurance and stuff like that, he started research. He told me he started researching Jake and watching some of his stuff. And he said that he has a course. And I'm like, and he said private banking. I'm like, okay, yeah, we can, I mean, let's learn more. Let's buy the course. And we were already course heavy we were buying courses left and right to try to um try to make money to try to become entrepreneurs and run our own business and trying to figure out the right path to take and so we we bought the course and we started you know we started kind of going through it a little bit and we were just having a play at first but then going deeper into the course we were like dang like so much stuff was revealed but then like um, once we finished the course um, we had our consultation with Adelijah, and one of the questions, at the end of it, he saw how driven we were and how how much we really did want to help people, and we just didn't have the right tool to set us up to really help people in the right way, and he knew what they were doing with ABS, and he was like, do y'all want to, if y'all were given the opportunity to help people, would y'all take it? um something you know somewhere around those lines and we we're like yeah we you know we would and mm-hmm. so um come to find out a few weeks later they had the overview first overview for the abs advisors program in november and we took we shoot we we took that uh opportunity and went on ahead signed up we that very first night of the overview we went on ahead and paid for the full cohort and mm-hmm. since then and really too uh, it, it, when I we were uh, reading that uh, the science of getting rich, and he talked about how with uh, Napoleon Hill, how when he interviewed that steel worker, he had her on had him on a timer, and if he didn't answer uh, within that sixty seconds, he was going to deny him the opportunity. And I really think that was um, a really big part of the fact that you know our quickness and our willingness to be like, yeah, this is. We're doing this for the not just for ourselves, but for our community, period. And that was really, I think, a, a, a big part of it. Like you said, like when when I when all of that came, it was like a synchronicity, synchronicity to me, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the thoughts that I have um, thinking back on, whenever we were like when before we even found out about the ABS advice, before the overview or anything uh, came up with that. And, but we had finished the course and we were like, we really want to help people, you, you know, trying to teach people how to um, uh, set up their own private bank and, you know, set people up to take this course so that they can get on this and so that they can uh, separate themselves from the system. And uh, being 
on the path that we are on, I was like, dang, we're really going to be sought after by the enemy because we're, we're wanting, we're thinking big. We're wanting to help so many of our people to learn this concept. And so that they can do the same thing. And what's crazy about that is that Jake has this huge following. Jake and Brother Bennix has this huge following and teaching the private banking and trying to get so many people on that there, I'm pretty sure that there's people already trying to plan some stuff and he's already talking about having to have a bodyguard and things like that. So I'm like, we're going to be at that point where we're going to need that kind of security because we're trying to go big. And um, as for me, for a little background on how I came here, um, I've always um, gravitated toward economics, like, uh, it really started with, um, honestly, a trauma-based experience. And uh, growing up um, poor, uh, there was a situation, and it was it was a really, like, overall, it, it would seem like a small situation, but to me, it was really big. And I remember being, um, I think it was at Walgreens or something, it was one of them kind of type corner stores, and they had this little plastic motorcycle. And... Um, this motorcycle wasn't very expensive. And I asked uh, my mom, I, I was probably about seven, eight years old. And this was right after my dad had um, went to the feds. My dad ended up uh, going to the feds for 15 years. And uh, I said, hey, uh, can we get that, that uh, motorcycle? And my mom had a meltdown and uh, was like, you know, hey, you know, you're always asking for stuff. I can't afford it. It's too expensive, you know et cetera, et cetera. And for me, how I took that was, I was like, I'm a burden. And I need to learn how to not be a burden to anyone. And so I immediately started trying to figure out ways to generate revenue for myself as much as possible. And so there was a few times um, I was in the Denver paper um, as a a child, for mowing people's lawns and things like that. Um, And uh, going around and doing different things in the neighborhood to make money for myself. Um, As well as um, I actually committed my first felony um, for finances when I was um, in the fourth grade. Um, I had another uh, uh, kid I used to hang out with at the time. Um, He uh, was an older uh, kid and he taught me that I could take a bike lock. And uh, he was in middle school. I was in elementary school. And he was like, hey, you know, go into your school and bust all the locks on the lockers and then take the stuff out. We can take the stuff and sell them. So that's what I went and did. And uh, from there, uh, where the bank trapper name comes from as well is uh, I, w- I grew up trapping. I first... Um, started selling drugs when I was 13 years old, uh, selling uh, these pills called Monsters and uh, selling weed. And then um, progressively through it, um, I ended up getting a lot bigger and I created my own um, uh, shell company. Um, I had read this book called um, How to Be Invisible um, by J.J. Luna. I believe it's J.J. Luna, something like that. His last name is Luna. 
And so he talked about the power of having shell companies and things like this. So I created my first business um, and I used that as a way to uh, funnel money. And uh, I ended up going to the feds myself um, not too long after my wife and I met um, and had our uh, son as well. And so my son was two weeks old when I got indicted. And at that, I had always told myself, like, man, I'll never do what uh, my dad um, and my mom did to me as a child going through those kinds of things. And then sure enough, I did the exact same thing. And that hit me a different kind of way. And so I was determined to figure out how to make this happen uh, legally. And so um, while I was in the feds, I was reading about, you know, uh, different financial things and stuff like that and getting involved in the market and stuff. And like, even now I'm double working, you know, uh, just got charts and stuff and everything going up um, to work to improve our family. And uh, when I came home, uh, I came home homeless. Um, and nothing to my name and ended up uh, doing everything that I had learned, you know, in prison, you know, the course, obviously the most accessible thing they give you is credit and stuff. And so even the home we live in now is mortgaged. And then, so when I found out about private banking, I learned, I was like, oh, wow, this is really, really, really powerful. Like everybody always wants you and tells you to, to be the boss, but nobody tells you to be the banker. And even uh, people who do illegal stuff have to bend their will to the banker. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, this right here is a whole new paradigm shift that the community needs to have in general. And um, Adelijah said something that was really powerful to me when we had our first consultation with him because even though I had switched everything to being legal, I've been so risky my whole entire life that even the way I was doing our finances and, and, and working our business at the time was risky because we had all of our money tied up into the market um, and uh, different um, various business activities as far as with our kennel and things like that. And Adelijah said, you are so used to being risky that even though you are thinking in the right way now, you still can't help but risk it all even when you're legal. And he said, this is where becoming the bank makes the difference. Is the banker ain't out there taking these risks. They're shifting the risk onto people like you. That's why they want you to think about being the entrepreneur. That's why they want you to be the consumer, you know? And so uh, when we had learned and after getting screwed, about learning life insurance the wrong way and then coming across and just not being afraid to continually grow and learn. That's how we got to here. So that's a, a, a little backstory on how I came here. Uh, so as of now, what is what are your like favorite um, financial uh, things that you've learned so far? Um, so far, just about, I guess, um, so using the private bank, uh, being that my niche is, you know, single moms and teens, 
like being able to learn how to break away from the banks and learning like the truth about how the government moves their money and how they really don't have money. Um, and just really learn how to manage our money better too, because even though we were budgeting all these, these past three years, we weren't budgeting in a way that was actually effective enough mm -hmm. to uh, know where all of our money was going because we still didn't even know where a lot of our money was going. Mm -hmm. You're right. And it's, that's another huge thing is, is even the old way of budgeting because um, I had taught my wife um, the budgeting system that I had learned versus the budgeting system we learned and that we use now, which is the uh, F your budgeting system. And there's a big difference between stopping your money up and putting it in a necktie with, and not allowing it to flow versus allowing it to be uh, flowing and working for you. And so what they teach us is to uh, put a chokehold on our money. But all money is, is the evidence of energy transferred. And currency, the root word is cur, which is to run, and rency uh, consistently. And so by having old style of budgeting systems and putting a chokehold on your money, you are preventing currency from doing what it's supposed to do, and that's to run consistently and to flow into you and out from you and making money your slave versus being a slave to money. And so learning even now, like, okay, I have to have my accounts uh, set up um, in a certain way. Um, I use my uh, insurance reserves to grow and maintain my money. And then when I pull that money out to make sure that it's liquid and accessible, I have it in this account here. And then I have separate accounts that only take in income. And then I have accounts that I use uh, for um, various spending that's broken down into categories so there isn't anything getting mixed up. But I'm not putting anything in a chokehold. Yeah. And that is a huge difference um, in how we used to manage our money versus now. And before, you know, especially, you know, being somebody who used to uh, think that leveraging debt and credit and all them kinds of ways was positive. I used to take pride in having a 720 credit score. Now I realize how much of a game and a joke that is. Yeah. Um, and so as far as your main takeaway, what would you give to um, women who have been in a situation um, like you were uh, where their significant other was absent for whatever reason, and now they're alone with their child, what would you tell them to do um, in order to uh, change the trajectory of their life and start getting control back and not having to be dependent on, you know, uh, like a lot of us are, on someone else, a job, um, the government, whatever it may be? So the first thing that I would um, say would be to make sure that you are protected and have life insurance um, on you yourself, your kids, and on your, your significant other. Um, and then also after that, I would like highly advise strictly budgeting because one, one of the things that I've been thinking about that I realized is that I did come into contact with a lot of money um, but I wasn't put, I wasn't putting that money in the places that it should have been put. And 
So one of the things that I would like to teach is how to use that the private bank to whatever money you come in contact with because a lot of um a lot of women do have like housing and get uh you know food benefits and things like that so that little bit of extra money that would normally go towards like groceries and housing now that you can put into your private bank you can save that up and put it into your private bank and grow it that way you can get to a point where even if your significant other doesn't come back, you're still set up. And also, too, I would think, too, for um, whether you're a man or a woman, I believe mm -hmm. that you should um, have life insurance on your significant other. Mm -hmm. um, when I went out back home to Denver, um, right, not as of right now, recently, um, within the last few weeks, I haven't heard much. But when I went out there last summer, it was a war zone. Last year, I had lost 10 of my friends uh, from getting murdered. And um, I had to go out there to um, deliver our litter of dogs. And understanding that, you know, just because I've changed, that doesn't mean that anybody else has cared that I've changed. And so knowing that if I was murdered out there, knowing that even though the life insurance policy that I had at the time um, wasn't a private banking system-based policy, the fact that I was at least covered brought comfort to me and knowing that uh, my wife and my son and them will receive something. And it's a situation too. So, you know, ladies, if, you, if your dude's out here and he's wilding out, it, it really behooves you to... Uh, get a policy, even if it's a term policy, you know, it don't cost very much. And if you have to pay for it yourself, get that policy on him. Because if he had just got shot at the last week or had his head busted open by the police or something like that the week before, well, when he's gone, at least you know that those activities still are able to come back and, and take care of you. And then for the fellas out there, a lot of these women ain't necessarily doing everything they need to be doing either. And so if they got a crazy dude that they with and, you know, he liked to hit on or anything like that, you know, at least you know now that your kids will be protected and to have something. So uh, we ain't going to make our first episode too long. Is there anything you'd like to close with, baby? Um, No, just you know just making sure that we are all having you know our futures in mind when we do talk about wealth and legacies and things like that just making sure that we are actually putting a strategy behind it and a logical strategy at that not just anything that you thought of just making sure you're doing your due diligence research and actually moving with the purpose uh, my takeaway on um, the last end of it is that, and this is more for the men, is that um, really consider making sure your wife is empowered. And uh, thank you, Auntie Lizzie. Uh, and also, to anybody watching, too, tap in with Lizzie. Ta Lizzie's cold with the taxes. <laughs> yeah. And uh, she's also 
umpteen lingual. She speaks a bunch of languages. I only speak two. Lizzie speak a few languages. So mm -hmm. there's a it's guaranteed she's able to communicate with you too. Um, so definitely tap in with tax metrics. Um, but uh, oh yeah, I, we'll put her. Well, let's put her at name in the chat too. Okay. Um, but what I was saying, actually, would you put that in for me, baby, while I'm closing? Mm -hmm. Um, so back to uh, making sure you empower your woman. I know there's a lot of men, and I don't understand why so many of us do this, but we feel that if we empower our women financially, it takes them out of the realm of being feminine. But it doesn't because they view things in a different way than we view them. And it actually adds to it. And we're Muslim. And uh, Muhammad didn't become wealthy until he married his first wife because she was already wealthy. And she helped him learn finances. And also too, I was brought up in the Moore Science Temple of America. And um, Noble Drew Ali says that as the mighty Moors that we are, we need to be industrious, each and every single one of us. And so I'm sure there's been times where you've been out and your wife was like, hey, you know what? Uh, oh, Ray Ray there, man, he kind of weird. I don't know if I really vibe with Ray Ray like that. And then sure enough, Ray Ray does something kind of weird. Well, it's like that in business. Women's intuition is a power. They're connected to a different vibrational plane than we are. You know, um, we move in logic and they're able to move on another plane of existence that we don't always think of. And so also understand the fact too that women are natural multipliers. That's why when we give them the seed, they're able to turn it into a baby. And so whenever we go out and get contracts or things like this, it grows. So I found the private banking blueprint and I may be the CEO of our company, but truth be told, I'm probably like the least important person in our company because all I do is find the stuff. I think I have the vision, which is obviously important, but every time I bring something back to uh, my wife and my sister, they make an addition to that. Um, they're the ones who get to do the contracts. They're the ones that, um, you know, get accepted into a lot of rooms that I couldn't get accepted into. Um, even just based off of the fact that like, I'm very, um, alpha male-ish too. And I'm also very strange. And so sometimes people are put off with me but then they see how I am with my family and everything. And they're like, okay, I like him. I like how he moves. I'll work with him, but I'll work with the wife and the sister a little bit more closely, you know? And so they're able to bring things back that I could never do. And so I go and get it and they multiply it. And it's been a consistent thing. And so make sure as men that we view our women as the other half of us because as Moomin, they're also half of our dean. You know what I'm saying? So really think of that concept and realize that if 
she's a powerhouse and you're a powerhouse, the only thing that's going to happen is you're going to become greater. But I'm the bank trapper here, here to get your bank vault booming. Go ahead. I'm Fatima the banker. And that's Merry Life and Bank Trapping. Thank y'all for watching. Appreciate y'all. Thank y'all.